0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Honey. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, just want to thank you so much for joining us here at ACBC. <laughs> As we wrap up, we wrap up this series called oh, Why. Wow. People are gonna foil your Honey, Pastor Honey. Um, look, if you've been around church for any length of time, uh, you have heard uh, from the front a very well known verse, a very well-used verse when it comes to the uh, topics of money and generosity. And that's this one here. Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Churches can get a real bad rap when it comes to the way churches talk about money, real bad rap. And some of the things said in church about money should never, ever be said. But there are some things about money that should be said in church because faith and finances, they intersect. They intersect. And according to Jesus, they intersect in our heart. And that's why this verse is so important. Uh, This verse right here, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean give, grin, and bear it. That's not what it means. Uh, What it means is Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, and he's giving them universal truths, biblical truths on about why we give to meet the needs of others, other believers. And this is just two of them. But why are these important? Why are these important? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to God that Christians should give voluntarily, that it's not a tax, It's not an obligation. It's not membership fees. A gift, a gift of money, or anything else called a gift, is only a gift if you're not obligated to hand it over, if you're not manipulated to hand it over. The second truth about giving in this verse is that God loves when we do it cheerfully. There's something about that, that the opportunity to meet the needs of others should delight us as God's children. Because when it does, he delights in us delighting in that. So how do we do this? How do we do this? And that's what this final topic about money is all about. Today I want to look at two issues. Two issues that I think empowers cheerful, cheerful giving. Uh, so that um, giving to the church or giving to others in need, giving to family, it doesn't feel like you have to do it. And instead when you do it, it actually makes you smile. One's a practical issue that we're going to talk about. And then another is a big paradigm shift that I think empowers us to do this cheerfully. So first, the practical issue. And since we live in Hamilton, I know you already know this, but did you know that it's easier to stay warm than to get warm? It's easier to stay warm than to get warm. And the reason for that is that when you get cold, your body loses its warmth, and your body goes into overdrive to warm it up again, and it burns more fuel to create more heat, and the blood vessels in your skin uh, start to contract so it can reduce the blood flow because your body knows it needs to protect the vital organs. So what does that really do? What it does is it creates stress, stress in our entire nervous system. So it's a whole lot easier to stay warm than to get warm because when you're getting warm, because you're cold, you're burning more calories, you're burning more fuel, and your nervous system is stressed out. And it's kind of the same thing that happens when it gets to us when it comes to this issue about money. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. But as we wrap up this series on why, all about money, why money, um, today we look at the third thing. The third thing that I think our money might say to us, if it could talk, which I think parallels exactly what Jesus said when he did talk about money. And here's what I think our money would tell us for this third series. This is how it relates to trying to get warm again when you're cold. And money would say... I'm easy easy to keep up with, but I'm really difficult to catch up with. It's a little bit like trying to stay warm. Because when you fall behind financially, and specifically, when you fall behind and you don't really know where your money's gone and where your money's going, you begin to burn more calories with all the pacing you begin to burn more energy you begin to get more stressed out you get more worried and you burn more energy and you start to burn the candle at both nights every night trying to find an answer creating more stress playing catch-up financially and the truth is there's kind of really no excuse for not knowing where your money's going there's really not a good excuse for not knowing where your money went. Because when it comes to money, money, not love, not relationships, not a lot of other things, but when it comes to money, you should never find yourself saying, I'm not sure where it went that can't be right when you look at your bank account. That can't be right. Where did it all go? See, the reason we should never say these things as it relates to finances is because we already know a certain amount comes in and then you send a certain amount out, right? A certain amount comes in and then you send it out. You know how much comes in. We should know how much we send out. And then you and or you and your husband or you and your wife, you send it places. So consequently, we should all know, oops, let's get that right. We should all know where our money go, right? Bad grammar, good financial advice. There should be no mystery about where your money is going. There's mystery when it comes to love and romance. How does that work? Um, there's a mystery when it comes to raising kids. There's a whole lot of mystery when it comes to raising intermediates and high schoolers. Uh, There's always mystery around certain types of decisions, but when it comes to knowing where your money went, there should be absolutely no mystery whatsoever. The problem is when you lose track of where it's going, and it takes over. That stress takes over. The worry takes over because it takes over emotionally, emotionally. And you know how it feels because we've all been there. We've all been there. You feel out of control, right? You feel like something has taken over and you're trying to keep up, and it's hard to be cheerful about anything, let alone giving away something that you don't really know how much you've got. So if your money started talking to you and was addressing this particular issue, your money might say, Look, uh, I'm easy to track. But if you lose track of me, you're going to lose peace of mind. And if you lose peace of mind when it comes to finances, you will absolutely lose your mind worrying about it all the time. So how do we fix this? How do we fix this? We all need a plan for tracking our spending. Now, stay with me. This is not a financial seminar. You're like, why did I come to this? I know more about money than this guy. I mean, look at him. this isn't a financial seminar. It's more of an applied theology thing. All right? So stick with me cuz you're going to know where this is heading. We should all know where our money go, right? We should all know. And this is true whether you have a little or if you have a lot. But when you talk to people who have a little or have a lot on both extremes, You know how it goes, right? People who don't have much, they're like, there's no point keeping up because I don't have enough to keep up with. I'm behind all the time anyway. And people who have a lot, they're like, well, I don't need to keep up because I have so much, I don't really need to keep up. But what we're going to discover today, especially if you're a Jesus follower, is that there's every reason in the world to keep up with where your money's going Because Jesus says it has something to do with our heart. We all need a plan to track our spending, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. And I'm not talking about a budget, all right? I'm not talking about a budget. And for some of us, this is great news, because what's a budget? And a lot of us are sitting here going, it's just a waste of time. Budget's just a waste of time. And I mean, everybody should have, to an extent, a budget. But what's a budget? A budget really is just a theory, right? It's a theory that normally rarely reflects reality because in terms of our personal budget, our household budget, this theory just really doesn't really work in real life. It assumes a specific future, a future that none of us can predict, uh, not to the level and degree needed when it comes to estimating about finances. The other problem with budgets is where it lives. Where does your budget live? It lives in a little file with a hard to remember name on your laptop somewhere. And it's just kind of hidden. I mean, you can find it if you need it. You create it. You did a good job with it. I mean, you did a really good job with it, right? You used Excel, and you had all kinds of pretty colors. It was a beautiful budget. And, and you saved it on your computer, and it's lived there ever since. But it's safe. You know exactly where it is. It's, it's on my computer. But you don't look at it again, right? It's not a dynamic kind of thing. And if we're going to get this issue of our finances right and empower ourselves to be cheerful Givers. We need something more dynamic than a budget that just predicts the future and that actually doesn't do anything but just kind of sits around and reminds you of everything you have or haven't done. But there's not really a reminder about your money with a budget because you never look at it. So, what you need, what we need, is to find a real simple way a simple way to track our actual spending. Now, when I say simple, I'm thinking back, when I first started working, I was taught how to do this, and I used two very ancient, ancient tools. First of all, for those of you that are like under 30, you know what this is? This is called an envelope, okay? It opens like this, okay? Wow! I know, right? And and this is what snail mail used to look like before email came. And you actually took a pen, like a real pen, a click click, not an Apple stylus pen, but a click click. Right, right. Oh, there's no ink. Throw it out. Go find another one. Dig through your drawers. Go to your car. Find one somewhere. And and you had to write it down with your own on a piece of paper with your own in, uh, hard to read. Handwriting, right? No text messaging, no no quick little lols. You didn't ever write lol, you wrote you never wrote laugh out loud because that was kind of dumb when you write on a piece of paper. And there's no spell check, and it took ages, ages to write what's called a letter. Can we all say that? Letter, right? Well, I use this thing called an envelope method to keep track of my spinning. And I had an envelope, and on every envelope, I would write a category right here like food or fun or clothes or power bill, whatever. And then each envelope had another ancient thing called cash. Can you say cash? Right, and I would take cash out, and I would put an envelope. So whatever money I had to set aside for clothes that month, I put cash in there, and I had this shoebox with all these envelopes laid in there. And then when I had to go shopping for a new shirt, I'd pull the cash out of the envelope, and i pull it out. I would go buy my shirt, and I would come back, and I would take the receipt and put it back in the envelope, and it would sit there. And then when I went to buy another shirt, and the envelope was empty, I thought, hmm, where am I going to get that money from? And I had to go through other envelopes, and say, do I really got to pay my power bill this month? And sometimes I would shift it over, but I always knew where my money was going based on the envelope systems. And then FPOS showed up, and that messed up the whole system, right? I mean, FPOS, wow, it was so easy to use. FPOS, just swipe it and do and like cover your nose because you, you think everybody wants to know your pin. Nobody wants to know your pin. And so, but it was so easy to lose track of where you spent your money. So I used another ancient tool called graph paper. All right? This is graph paper. This is not like a background to your app on a phone or your, your, your uh, computer. And what you do is down on the left side, you write down all the categories of where you spend money. If you need to add another category, just add another category. And along the top, you would put uh, all the days of the week or days of the month on there. And then every day you would come home I had to do it daily back then, and I would take my receipts, and I would write down what I spent for each time, keep a tally, so at the end of the month, I knew where all my money went. Oh, my gosh, it was so much work, so much work, but I developed a habit, a habit where there was no more guessing, and what I found out was there was a lot less worrying, which is why my father taught me this, but then PayWave came. And pay waving, man. Pay waving just led me to start praying more. Like, please let there be funds. Please let there be money in there. Please, <laughs> please God. Please, please, please. Hoping beyond hope that you don't get that transaction decline thing when you waive that thing, because the issue here with recording is if, if you know you're going to record it, you'll first consider if you can afford it. All right, and that's the point. It's kind of like keeping track of what you eat. Now, don't raise your hand because this is kind of rude. But ah, we're all friends here. Okay, raise your hand, raise your hand. Have you ever got one of those apps that counts how much food you eat? How many kilojoules or how many points and stuff, right? Only Three of us are the only ones that don't lie. All right, so I have, and they're great, right? They're great. And, and when you use one of those apps, you think, okay, I'm gonna log in everything that I eat, and the app will tell me how many calories, how many kilojoules each item is or how many points each item is. And by the way, if you wanna make a million bucks, develop an app that doesn't count points, develop an app that shows you on a, on a figure of a body where the fat will go if you eat this thing. <laughs> that will really motivate people. That'll make millions of dollars. So all of you guys that tech minded, just a little idea, and we'll talk about commission later. But what happens is you get into this rhythm, right? You get in this rhythm, and you kind of eat the same thing all the time. And, and what happens after that is you realize that as you're eating something, you're going, oh man, I gotta record this in my app. And then you go, I don't want to record this in my app. Really? One donut is like that? Really? And so it slows you down, right? It slows you down from eating what you're going to eat because you know what's going on with the points. And you start considering the fact that when you start finding out how many points different foods are and what it's going to cost for you to eat that, you become more careful. Why? Because if you know you're going to record it, and you know you want to save some of those points for something better, like you're going to a mate's house for a meal, or for something later, you make sure that you don't go over your 18,000 kilojoule limit or whatever it is that you eat, right? So whatever calorie limit is right now, you keep in check. And that's what happens with finances, especially during the paycheck-to-paycheck paycheck seasons of life. The paycheck-to-paycheck seasons of life, this is so important because it actually takes the pressure off financially. This habit takes the pressure off because it takes all the guesswork out. It's easy for you to cut back when you got to cut back or cut out when you got to cut out, but it's not easy. Taking steps back financially to pull back uh, expenditure is not ever easy. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how mature you are. When you got to spend less, it's hard. It's hard work, and that happens to all of us. You go from two to one income in your household. or You lose a job or you move to a new town and you don't have a job yet. There's a setback. Your kids decide to study overseas. uh, And you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to have to make some cutbacks. But here's the thing. It's never easy going backwards financially ever. And when you're in the cutback season of life, it's a lot easier to rely on a tracking method than a predictive method budget method, because you actually need to know where the actual expenditure is happening. And you got to know where I'm going to cut back. And, and while there's stress in having to cut back, it takes out all that relational stress about finances, because there's no more of the, wait, where'd the money go? We don't have that. You spent how much on what tense conversations that happen in a household, which then always leads to no action. And then as we see, leads to no giving, let alone no joyful giving. So when you got to cut back on expenses, and you're in that paycheck-to-paycheck season, this actually makes life a whole lot easier. It, puts, it takes the pressure off. But when you're in the years of plenty, where there's margin, and I know you never feel like we got plenty. You never feel that way. But when there's plenty more than there used to be, and there's a little bit more margin when there used to be, and things aren't quite so tight... In periods of plenty, it puts the pressure on when you record stuff. And here's what I mean by that. The more we accumulate, more and more and more, the more you make, more and more and more, and there's more and more margin, when you keep track of where your money is going, you are confronted on how much you're spending on you. And you're like, wow. You're confronted on how much you're actually not Giving or how little you're actually giving to others. And it can be embarrassing, but it can also be motivating and it can be inspiring. And for some, it takes the fear away of being a generous, cheerful giver because it's easy to always feel like things are tight, because things are always tight, right? It's easy to feel that way, especially in today's financial climate. But one of the reasons why we might think things are tight is we actually don't know where the money's going. But once you know where it's going, and you get in the habit of looking at it, it actually puts a healthy pressure on you. Because as we know, the more you have and the more you make, the closer attention you should pay to where it's going. Not because you have to, but because as we're about to discover, it's actually in your best interest to. Because to borrow something that Jesus said, he says, look, if you're not careful... And if you have extra, and for those of you who have more, and for those of you who don't necessarily have to be as careful as you should, if you're not careful, you begin to hoard for the future, and you begin to store up treasures on earth. And that can become a source of embarrassment for you later. Because the reality is, human nature is, the more you have something, then the more you have something more than you need, We just don't get careful, right? We're not careful about it. That when you have more of something than what you actually need, when there's plenty, we just kind of get kind of relaxed about it. And and if you're not careful, and if you're not aware, it, it leads to waste. Like, think about water, here in New Zealand, water. Not a big issue for us in New Zealand. That's why we leave the sink running in the kitchen when you just quickly run to the fridge to get something else and you come back and you don't turn the water off. That's why when you wash your car, instead of taking that little twisting thing and turn off and on, off and on, soaps so, it, so... You just let it run into the grass, right? And you just kind of let that water run and run and run and run and run. And we just let it spill off to the grass because we have way more water than we need. There are places in this world that if they saw how much water we waste in a day, they wouldn't even know how to talk about it. There's no category for this because where they come from, water is so scarce, and they would look at us and like, are you serious? But when you have something more than what you need, human nature is, I don't have to be careful, so I'm not going to be careful. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, when it comes to money, this can't be a factor. This can't be a factor. It can't be a reflection of your reality to of what you do with your money because of what Jesus taught. We easily, he taught, we easily get sucked into the treasures of the earth and our heart gets stuck there. So what I want to do, we had a challenge last week, right? I want to add a little, one more layer to that challenge. And this is the practical side of things. The challenge from last week was, if you remember, is choose a percentage, any percentage. Talk to God, talk to your family. Choose a percentage that makes you go, mm, really, God, that much? And, and give it away as soon as you get paid. Pick a place and just send it. But while you do that over the next two months, pay attention to the internal tension that this creates. Pay attention to what this says. But while you're doing this, I also want you to please document your spending. Next two months. Document what you're spending for the next two months. Spy on your money. Follow it. Follow where it goes. See where it goes when you're not paying attention. And and I want you, I want you to see where it's actually going. I want you to see what it's actually doing. I don't know. Create a Google Doc if you want. Share it with your spouse, with your husband, your wife. Do this together. Get a Google Doc, share it with your flatmate, share it with a friend, and kind of talk about it. And now with paywave, the problem with paywave is that you know it's so easy to just pay wave and have no idea what you just spent on. Like, I'm not even sure how much that cost. I just, beep, and I left, and it was all good. And then when they ask you, do you want a receipt? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm paperless. Thank you very much. I don't need a receipt. Don't you see my reusable coffee cup? So you don't even get a receipt. So you have no idea what you actually spent. So for just two months, please get a receipt. I know it's going to go against your paperless ideology just get a receipt don't think well i can just look at my online bank account well can you because knowing you can know isn't the same as knowing And and that's kind of not the point. See, the fact that you have access to an online bank account and to see what you're spending is different than actually keeping a record of the categories to which you spend it. Like, you go to Farmers, you see Farmers and however much you spent, but out of that Farmers amount, you don't know how much was clothes, how much was toys, how much was appliances, how much was makeup, you know, whatever you got. Um, So you get the picture. So for two months, get the receipt and record what you spend. Make as many categories as you need. Use graph paper if you want. Download free expense sheets. There's a place called Frugal Mama. I never thought I'd ever say that phrase in a sermon. Frugal Mama. And it's a thing. And you can download a free expense sheet from there. Go to sorted.co.nz and they got free apps that you can download. That You can just keep an app that ties to your bank account and actually does it for you even. You can look at it regularly. It even uses like a digital envelope system. So easy, just two months, just record it. And then the second thing I want you to do is look at it. Actually look at it. And then just adjust. Adjust if necessary. Some of you are going to be thrilled about what you see. Some of you are going to be shocked by what you see. And, and if you're married right now, if you're married, one of you hates me and one of you loves me so much, you just want to come up and hug me right now. Because opposites attract, right? So you got to figure this thing out. But don't make a big deal out of this. All right? I think in church, you talk money, it becomes a big deal. Don't make a big deal about this. Don't commit to doing this for the rest of your life. This isn't forever. It's two months. And just track the spending and look into it. All right? So now you know the answer of where did my money go. That's the whole point of this. Now, that's the practical thing. But here's the big paradigm shift. This is the big mind shift and heart shift that Jesus asks of us. That's just an applied way to get there. It's hard to be a generous giver. It's hard to even decide how much to give for the sake of others if you don't know where your money goes. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this goes way beyond practical. This goes way beyond helpful financial tricks. It's a paradigm shift on how we look at our money as Christ followers. Because Jesus actually taught very specifically as to why this is a big deal. And here's why I say that. And here's why I want us to take this like extra seriously, especially now in the financial climate we have. If you're a Christian, this goes back a little bit to what we said last week. Last week you we mentioned you are betting your entire eternity on John's words. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and he was there when Jesus was having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, as an older man, as John reflects on this, he's writing the book of John, the the gospel of John, he gets real excited. He's like, I got to have my readers know exactly what Jesus is saying, because we weren't really sure what he was talking about then either, and Nicodemus had no clue what he was talking about back then. But now, on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, um, it's so clear, and John kind of breaks into the conversation, and he writes these words that so many of us have memorized as children. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever places their faith in him will not perish. They won't fall away from God. They won't give up on God. They won't be lost to God, but will have eternal life. Now, if you are a Jesus follower, if you are a Christian, you prayed some sort of prayer like that as a child or a teenager or maybe as an adult, and what you said to God is, God, I believe Jesus is your son, and I'm trusting you. That through him, I'm giving you my entire eternity. I'm trusting my entire eternity to you through him. And so you've already started trusting the teachings and the words of Jesus for your eternity, right? Now, beyond that, um, you've also actually defined your relationship with God, omniscient, you know, you know, cosmic God, based on Jesus' invitation to call him Father. Many of us pray, and when you pray, you pray, dear Heavenly Father. The the reason you do that is because Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He says, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. And besides that, your Father knows, Jesus said, he already knows what you need, even before you ask, even before you accepted that. So you've trusted God with your eternity. You defined your relationship with God as Father based on what Jesus taught. So why would we ignore what he says about money and possessions why do we draw that line why why would we not lean in just as heavily heaven heavily as what Jesus said about money and about possessions cuz i mean when you're sick you pray that god would intervene and make you better when your children are making bad decisions, you pray that God would intervene on behalf of your children and save your children. When your children, you know, go away to union, or go overseas, you pray and ask that God would protect them. In other words, as a Christian, you invite God in on everything you can invite God in on. So why do we hold back when it comes to money and possessions? Let me tell you what I think. I think it's because of all those categories that I've just mentioned about why you pray to God, those are categories you have no control over. So it's easy to give them to God. It's like, I can't control this, God, you need to do this. And secondly, a lot of those categories are categories you can't actually tangibly see. And that's why Jesus was so brilliant. When he taught about this 2,000 plus years ago, he knew that your money, your possessions, that's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to devotion. Ultimate devotion. It's a whole lot easier for us to give our hearts to Jesus than to give some cash to Jesus. So when Jesus starts talking about where your heart is, there your treasure will also be. He says it's the ultimate measure. The ultimate test of your devotion to God is what you do with your money. And a person, he says, can't have one master. So he said, right, remember, you can't have one master, you can't serve two masters. So he goes, so who are you going to serve, God or the devil, right? Nah, no, he didn't say devil. He said God or money, because he knows where the fight is. And he's like, he said, like, come on, come on, if you're going to follow me, you're going to trust me with my, your eternity, and you're going to trust me with your health, and your children, and your marriage, and your singleness, and your, your joblessness, and your opportunities, why would you hold back in trusting me when it comes to issues of finance, and money, and possessions? Because what Jesus did say about money and possessions, so clear, so clear. He says, they're not even yours. They're actually my Father's in heaven. He says, you're not the owner. Don't kid yourself, you're just a manager. You're just a manager. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records a bunch of stories, parables, that Jesus would tell. And and he would tell these stories to help people understand how heaven has come down and met earth. And they explained the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was not just someplace that you would go someday. The kingdom of God was a value system. The value system of God that came down and touched down on planet earth when Jesus touched down on planet earth. And Jesus' parables constantly said, here's what the kingdom of God looks like when you live it out on planet earth. When you live it out in your life as a teenager or as a single person or as a married person or as a senior adult. And over and over and over again, he would tell these parables that would intersect money and possessions with faith and trust. And in one of these parables, Matthew 25, here's what he said. He said again. Again, because he's talked about this lots of times, right? He tells these stories lots of times. Again, it, meaning the kingdom of heaven, the value system of God that he wants us to live like down on earth, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, in a parable, there's always a God figure, and there's always an us figure, right? Someone in the parable represents Jesus' audience, and someone in the parable represents God the Father. And if you read the whole parable, it becomes very, very clear that the wealthy man who's entrusting his wealth to the servants, that's the God figure, that's God, and the servants in whom wealth is entrusted to by the wealthy man, that's me, and that's you, that's followers of Jesus, that's potential Followers of Jesus. So here's the question. Not a trick question. It's not a trick, but it is a math question. So get out your calculators on your phone if you want. Based on this verse, what percentage of the wealth belongs to the man who bestowed his wealth on the servants? What percentage? Go ahead, say. Someone's 100%, right? Exactly, 100%. And what percentage belongs to the servants? Zip. None. Zero. Exactly. Even I can do this math. I don't have my phone out right now. Now, if you read the whole parable, it's kind of interesting. He gives one guy five bags of something valuable, another person two bags of something valuable, and another guy got one bag. And he says, now, while I'm gone, I expect you to do with my wealth what I would do with my wealth. And when I get back... I hope to have a return on my money. I want you to manage it the way you think I would manage it, and I want to see a return. So when I get back, you know, I'm going to call you in together, and I want to see the kind of return that you earned in my name. So I want you to work on the return so that when I return, I actually have a return. Got it? So if you remember the parable, or you can read it later, Matthew 25, two of them do really, really well. They do really, really well. And they go on to basically double their master's wealth. But one of them doesn't do so good. And he buries it in the earth. See, the moral of the parable is, remember? Remember what made the difference here when the master returned? Remember what happens when he makes the account? See, the issue, the issue is not the amount that each of them was asked to manage. The issue was what they did with what each of them was asked to manage. See, the point of the parable that Jesus is making is 100% of it belonged to the master. Zero percent of it belonged to the servants. We are managers. We are not owners. And here's the great news about this parad- paradigm shift. And again, Jesus, so brilliant, so brilliant. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much money you make, no matter how many things you possess, you should never, ever, ever feel guilty about how much you have. And you should never, ever, ever allow anyone else to make you feel guilty about how much you have. And here's why. Money managers don't feel guilty. It's not their wealth, right? Money managers feel responsible. Money managers feel accountable. And they feel responsible and accountable for how much? They feel it for all of it. See, this was the great paradigm shift for the audience that Jesus spoke to. This is a paradigm shift that most churches, they still struggle with and will continue to struggle with, especially if you're Baptist. Oh, look at that car they just drove into the parking lot with. Oh, they got some money. I don't mean... Right? We're awful. We're awful like that. But Jesus could not be any clearer. The reason you should keep track of where your money is going is that it's not your money see we should know where our master's money go right <laughs> bad grammar really good theology really good theology you should pay attention and the more you have the closer attention you should pay so you create a system so for two months create a system now some of you are like i've been doing this forever great some of us are like what a great idea the problem is in a room this size and whoever's watching online, you just don't know where people are with the finance stuff. So create a system where you monitor where your money goes and then sit down and look at it at the end of two months. Stop every once in a while and take a look. And if you don't like what you see, make some adjustments. This is not a big deal. Just make some adjustments. But be easy on yourself, Okay. Be easy on yourself, because you might realize, and you start, might start asking yourself some questions, and you might sit back and look at this and go, how can two people spend that much money on themselves, and you start feeling guilty, or how could one person eat that much money, or, or how could one person wear that much money, or how could one person spend that much money on travel, oh my, God, this is so embarrassing be easy on yourself, be aware, and then just make some adjustments. Just make adjustments. Because this is the bottom line throughout all of Jesus' teaching, and that is this, how we manage our money speaks volumes about who and whose we are. And here's how I know you know this already. You've already met people along the way you've met some very generous people along the way. You've met people who had a little, you've met people who had a middle, and you have met people who had a lot. And when you saw what they did with their home and their hospitality, what they did with their car, what they did, how generous they were with what they did with their possessions, you walked away from those observations or conversations or encounters or being blessed by them, and you're thinking, wow, this person is the real deal. That family is the real deal. I can't hear their prayers. I don't know about their any secret habits. I don't know what happens behind closed doors. I don't know how they do with parenting their children. I don't know any of that. But oh my goodness, they are the real deal because of how they managed their money and their possessions and used it for the sake of others. See, Jesus already knows this about all of us. How you manage your money says so much, and it probably uh, says more than anything else about who you are and whose you are. Now, let's go back to that verse we started with. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, I think the secret to becoming a generous giver is to know where your money goes and to know whose money it is. Something happens to that. I remember mean, the first time I realized what it meant to be a cheerful giver. I was in Bible college, you know, Bible college students, we are rolling in the money, let me tell you. And so, Bible college student, and part of my part-time job was to oversee this huge building that we all lived in, big kind of dormitory thing. And I was working the front desk where there's security and this guy comes banging on the door. It's like nine o'clock at night. He's banging on the door, banging on the door. So I hit through the speaker. I wasn't brave enough to open the door because we're in a kind of a dangerous part of Philadelphia. And I I hit a speaker. I go, can I help you? And he goes, dude, dude, I need some help. My wife and kids are in the car. We have no money. We are starving. We found a place to stay, but we have no food. Can you just help me out? And I'm like, yeah, I know this scam. I know this scam. And I sit there, but I'm like, oh, man, I'm in Bible college. I also know what I have to do and what I should do. So I said, okay, I tell you what, I made a phone call, had another friend come down to cover the desk. I said, look, I, w- I won't give you cash, but how about I go with you to the grocery shop just up the road, and I'll buy what you need. So he follows me there. He actually follows me there. We go in the grocery shop. I meet his wife. I meet his kids. And we go in the shop, and we start shopping. And, and I'm like, okay, I kind of know how much money I got. I know what's left on my credit card. Bad choice. But I know what's there, so I'll, um, I'll, I'll be able to buy some stuff. And like, but I'm like, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. If you're going to take my money for your food, you're going to eat healthy. So I just take him down to the fresh food stuff and things that, you know, you can't cook, but you can just eat and all the healthy stuff. So I get all this stuff, and I'm doing very responsible. I'm going to be responsible with my money. I'm going to give you good food. And then he goes, dude, can, I, can we get like one bag of candy for my kids? They haven't had candy forever. And I sit there, and I listen to him, and I look at his face, and I think, Brian, you big jerk. You made this all this task and this responsibility. And I looked at him, I said, I am so sorry. I said, let's have some fun. <laughs> and we cruised down every aisle. That had lollies and cookies and cakes, and we just piled the stuff on. And we, I started dumping stuff in, and I'm like, "Have this, some of this, and some of this, and some." Of this. He goes, "No, no, no." I go, "Nah, let's have some fun. Have some more of this. Have some of this." And then um, I go, "So we are staying? Does it have a fridge or freezer? Because I have no idea." Okay, then eat all this ice cream tonight. And I throw three things of ice cream in his thing. And we get there, and we're laughing, and I go pay for this stuff, and he takes it to the car, and I'm on the other side of the parking lot, and I hear his kids screaming and yelling about. Cake and cookies. And I'm like, this is so much fun. And I'm telling my friends about it. "It It's so much fun. And I thought, this is what it means to be a cheerful giver. Then, years later on, I remember the first time I got to show my daughters uh, what it meant to be a cheerful giver. I'm out for a walk, it's Boxing Day, day after Christmas, and I go for a walk with uh, McKenna, I think she got a skateboard, she's trying to figure it out, I'm pulling her along, and there's a park just down the road, and we get there, and there's a guy sleeping in a car at this park, and it's not a normal thing in this part of the neighborhood, he's sleeping in the car, the windows are all kind of newspapered up, and, and you can hear him in there, and, and, and she's like, McKenna's like, ooh, what's going on? And I I look at her, and we walk past the car, and I I go, you know what day this is? I go, it's Boxing Day. I go, you know what Boxing Day comes from? I tell a story about tradition of how rich folks would take extra food and some money and gifts and go take it to those who don't have any on the day after Christmas. And so she goes, can we do that? And I go, yeah, let's do that. So we go back to the house, and we start getting, um, I start getting all the gifts uh, that I don't want, which is like socks, lots of socks. <laughs> I put a bunch of socks in there, and, and, and I got a couple of ties. I don't know why. I gave them a tie. And, um, but we threw in a bunch of money and a bunch of food and Cokes, and we looked at the fridge. And I said, okay, girls, we had a big plan for dinner tonight, and all the shops are closed, but what do you want to give them? So we got the Coke out and all this kind of stuff. So we go take it to the car, and as we get there, the bushes I go, okay, we're be real quiet we're taking this food and we're walking and she's looking at me, she starts laughing like, shh, shh, shh. and we walk up to the car and, and we take all the food and we put it down by the, um, by the, uh, th- the door and the guy, you see the car move and I'm like, stop and we stop and then McKenna starts getting the giggles and I'm like, put it down and I go, okay now, knock and run so she goes, Boo, boom, boom, run, and we start run, 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 and we go off, and we go hide behind a bush, and I go, let's see what happens. So we're watching, and we see the door open, and we see this hand come out and start taking everything back in the car, and the door is shut. That was it. And McKenna's like, "This is so cool," and I'm like, "This is what it means to pass on to our kids what it means to be a cheerful giver." So pay attention. Pay attention to how you use the master's money. If you pay attention, I promise you, you will live better. You will love better. You will laugh more. You will be more generous. Your kids will learn the joy of what it's like to help others expecting nothing in return. And you will have less fear about finances and life and everything and far more purpose. Your money's talking. And it's asking you, what you choose to do with me speaks volumes of who you are and whose you are. And my prayer and my hope for for me and Rach and our family and our church and all of us is that we intersect our faith and our finances in such a way that we all learn what it means to live with margin and live on mission all the time. Let's pray. Father God, it seems silly to even talk about this when we consider just how generous you are, how you gave us everything we have, how you gave us your all by giving us your son, Jesus, how you made us heirs and and inheritors of your kingdom, that everything you own, you give to us, and everything we have is actually yours, but you give it to us out of love, out of generosity, as you continue to make us more like your son, Jesus. Give us the strength and the courage to do some practical steps to make that paradigm shift and remember, all we have is yours. And help us to live with that kind of margin so we can live on mission and showing love and generosity to those that cross our paths that are in need, to organizations that are doing something kingdom-shaped, to whatever it is you point us to. So we live with that kind of generosity and give with that kind of cheerfulness, and live with no worries and no fear, because we trust you more than that. In Jesus' name, amen.